Uh, so um, how much is that? Welcome to the Podcast Editor Mastermind Show, the podcast by podcast editors for podcast editors. I'm Jennifer Longworth with Bourbon Barrel Podcasting. I'm Brian Esminger at Top Tier Audio. And over here, Daniel Abendroth of RothMedia.audio. And for those that are wondering, Carrie's not able to join us tonight, but we do miss her sorely. And you can find her at yayapodcasting.com. Jennifer, what are we talking about tonight? Well, we are uh, taking a listener question. Topic idea from Steve Stewart. I'm sure most of you have been in this situation before. The person scheduling a chat with you is also talking with one to three other podcast editors. How do you handle it? Especially if you discover this mid-conversation, how do you beat out the competition to win the gig or in the call quickly so they don't waste another minute of your time? That's an interesting one. So has that ever happened to either of you? Uh, yeah, like every time I talk to somebody. <laughs> Yeah, a couple times. And it happened at PodFest, too, last week. Oh, tell us the story. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was at the Ask the Editor booth with the Podcast Editor Academy. And someone comes up and they're like, well, what makes you different? Why do you stand out? I mean, I we, it wasn't like a call where they were interviewing other people or whatever. But it was still just right out there. What makes you different? Why should I hire you? So what'd you tell them? I went with my, I'm a Central Kentucky editor who focuses on Central Kentucky, not excluding the rest of the world. But if you're in Central Kentucky, you need to hire me. And I just nice. had a bourbon tasting for my clients. So there's that. Mm. But it doesn't come down to price. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be one of the things that I was interested in. Because in my view, I guess, first off, I kind of hope that everybody that's talking to me is talking to somebody else. Not because I want to have to compete so much, but because I want them to find the right person for them. So I guess I always kind of go into the conversation expecting that they've probably talked to somebody else or probably will. So I guess in that sense, it doesn't really, doesn't weird me out too much. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think at first I had more feelings about it, especially I think it was after like one of our thing, like one of our kind of private sessions years ago. They had to come up and it's just like, well, if they're talking to somebody else, like I'm not interested. But anymore, like, yeah, I'm kind of like, I don't really care. I'm glad that they are because I don't want them to settle for me if somebody else is going to be better fit that can better suit their needs. But yeah, I find that like a lot of the times that they don't go with me, it comes down to my pricing. And like, I'm totally fine with losing somebody because I'm charging too much. Yeah. For me, it's kind of interesting because... Like I said, I, I assume that they're probably talking to other people. I, I actually kind of hope that they do, but I don't feel a strong desire to compete either. If they came and said, well, hey, you know, so-and-so can, can give me this. Can you match that? Probably not going to try too hard to win their business, especially if it's on price. If it's, hey, this is a service that I would like to have. You don't offer this, but I'd really like to be able to work with you. Is this something you could do? I'd probably be willing to have that conversation if they're like, well, I found this person on Fiverr, they can do it for less. I'd be kind of like, well, okay. That's awesome. Yeah, do it. Good luck. <laughs> Hopefully, if they're at the level that I think that I'm at, they won't be charging that rate for long. Because my hope would be that they would do that as well. Do either of you ever feel like a strong desire to go, okay, I know that they're talking to other people. Now I have to do something different. Absolutely not. I think I've said on the show before, like I'm not 
interested in sales. I'm not a salesperson. The sales process is uncomfortable. And that's why like I had such a hard time like with these calls before. It just doesn't feel good. And at this point, it's just like, here's what we offer. If it works for you, perfect. If not, no hard feelings. Because like a lot of times, like what we offer is more than what a lot of people need or are willing to pay for. But like, I'm not about to discount my services or really go above and be. I'm really satisfied with like what we're offering. And I'm not too interested in adding to it or like trying to bend over backwards to secure this client. Because if I'm doing that now, what's that going to look like in the future if they want more and like, well, I can find somebody else. And I don't know. It just feels kind of icky. Yeah. So Steve (laughs) says, what about for someone who's just getting started like we all were a few years ago or could really use the extra income? Oh, I really... Oh, I really want this client. I need the extra client. I'm just getting started. How do I build my portfolio in there? I'm up against other people. What do I do? Oh, no. Here's my perspective. And I'll share two of them with you. One that I'll call early Brian. One that I'll call now Brian, right? So early Brian didn't necessarily have a big book of business that he was servicing. And so there was less confidence that my rates were consistent with what people that I'm trying to serve could afford and what was appropriate to them. And so in that situation, I probably would have had a lot of internal dialogue about, can they really pay this? What's actually a reasonable price? And when I do my rate reviews, which is typically once a year, yeah, those are things I consider. Is this at, you know, is this in line with where I want to be in the market? Can my ideal client actually afford this? And of course, I don't want to make that decision for them, but at the same time, I don't want to price myself so far that either I'm ignored because my price is too low or I'm ignored because my price is too high. But I would say now Brian would probably go approach it more like wanting to make a good impression on a first date or at a networking event or something like that, where I'm going, I would like to work with this person for several years. So I want to actually like this person and I want them to actually like me. I'm going to put my best forward, but I'm also like, I mean, I've been married for a bit now. And so like all of that stuff that you do at the beginning to kind of pull the wool over somebody's eyes and go, yeah, I'm, I'm cool. And everybody knows I'm not like, I've realized now that that's not really worth it because in the end, if I can't deliver or if I'm doing something that makes me uncomfortable in order to keep them going, that doesn't, that doesn't make for a sustainable working relationship. Doing that isn't sustainable. Like you can't one do that for every client and like, if you are going above and beyond what you're comfortable with or capable of, like you're not going to be able to do that for long, especially if you're discounting your rates to get them. Like for me, it, I don't want to get too woo woo, but I, there's a concept called like an abundancy mindset, I think, versus scarcity. And so for somebody getting started or could really use that extra income, automatically, like you're in kind of that scarcity. Like I have to land this client in order to be able to grow my business and. Um, I do this full time. And that's a really tricky situation because you end up over promising or undercutting your own prices. And like, that's not sustainable. And that's why I was charging like $20, $25 an episode for a long time until I had clients have to tell me like, you're undercharging, you need to charge more. Especially if you get locked into that kind of relationship, it's harder in the future to raise the rates into a place that where you can sustain it because you can't make a living off of $25 an episode or 
undercutting your prices. So if you're just starting out, one, don't put yourself in a position where you need to be desperate for clients. So like, don't quit your day job before, like too soon. So yeah. I think that there could be a risk of like quitting your job and then like grinding and hustling in order to like build that income level to live off of. That can be really dangerous and lead to that kind of situation where you are taking whatever client you can get. But also going in, confident in your abilities and in your pricing. And like Brian was saying, put your best foot forward. And if that doesn't win them over, then just accept that this isn't a good fit for your business. Like that's not you and the client aren't a good fit for each other. And that's totally fine to miss out on clients. And you also have to understand your unique value proposition or whatever they call it in the salesy terms. (laughs) What makes you different? You know, yeah. all things being equal. So I'm charging the low undercutting myself rate of, let's say, $50 an episode, which is higher than what I started at, of course. <laughs> well, let's <laughs> say I'm charging $50 an episode. The average is 192 so I'm obviously really too low. But everybody else is charging $50 as well. In this interview scenario, why should I work with you instead of this other $50 episode? Part of me says, well, if all you're looking for is a commodity, if you don't want somebody who brings to the table the experience and the expertise that I have, you just want somebody that's going to pay $5 less, then you don't want me. But what if all three, price is not an issue. Price yeah, is the same for everyone. Yeah, pick who you want to work with. Right? Yeah. Well, what makes you the one to want to work with? Well, I mean, it depends on who it is. If it's somebody that is talking to three people that are all at the same price point, and they can't figure out which person they want to work with, what am I going to provide them with that becomes a unique selling proposition if we're all offering essentially the same service? And I'm not saying that we are, right? So on a personal level, I would like to think that I bring a pretty high-level expertise in the area of the engineering, the EQ, the compression, you know, delivering a file that is to spec the first time around. And I do a I'd like to say I do a pretty good job also on the editing side as far as like the cutting and stuff and making it sound natural. But a lot of the stuff that I do, you're not going to know that it was done, right? Same, right? same with you guys, right? If we do our jobs right, you're going to listen to it and go, well, whoever hosts this show and their guests are just amazing. You're never going to know that it was because the editor left a bunch of garbage on the cutting room floor or the editor took a recording that was hot garbage and turned it into something that almost looks like a Sunday meal. You're just not going to know. And I'm not sure how you can communicate that to somebody other than maybe to say, well, give me five minutes of audio and let me show you what I can do. So what's your unique selling proposition, Daniel? My wife? Yeah, that's true. I don't necessarily offer as an editor anything more. I mean, I, I would say I offer less than Brian. Uh, because he has his skill level as far as EQing and engineering is beyond mine. What sets me apart is having a partner who can help with where I am weak as far as like keeping a schedule and keeping like a launch process on track, offering insight into content and more creative ideas. Like that's where she excels and I struggle. And so by hiring Roth Media, you get me on the production side and her on like the planning and idea side. I think we should also hit Andrea's comment because that's really insightful. We're approaching this from 
the standpoint of somebody saying, hey, why should I hire you? This story hers, right? She had a client who hired her because even though she was the highest out of three, in terms of the quote, not how high she was, <laughs> she was the only one who asked questions about how to make the workflow easy for them and what was ex- important in the experience. So keep in mind also that how that sales call goes or that discovery call or whatever you want to call it, how that goes could actually be your unique selling proposition, right? If what you deliver is a customized experience that works for their workflow, that's something that somebody that's operating at scale probably can't do. Like like Pro Podcast Solutions, I don't know if Daryl offers customized solutions, but if you've got a book of business where you've got 10 or 15 or 20 editors all working on a constant flow of shows, your workflow has to be consistent or you can't plug people in and plug people out in order to take vacations and stuff. And so for a small shop, customization is something we can offer. That's actually like something I hadn't thought about is like on our calls because like we go through like, oh, I EQ, I clean up, edit, blah, 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 the ums and ahs and all that. But I never kind of explain the workflow because at the end of the day, a lot of podcasters are self-taught. I'm self-taught. So what we do, you know, at a high level, certainly there's no, not everybody can do it, but at a low level, like podcasting is super low barrier to entry. Anybody can do a little bit, you know, throw it through Alphonic to clean it up and do whatever. What sets like paying somebody to do it for them, a lot of it comes down to convenience. And so if you can demonstrate like the workflow is going to be super easy, you're going to alleviate a lot of stress from your production. Like that is a huge selling point that I hadn't thought about, like including in kind of like the our like new client consultation calls. So we have a question in the comments from David. Are you more selective now on who you take on as a new client? I would say that I am. I only take on people that I actually want to work with. And then typically I don't get interviews with people that I don't want to work with. Like I'm like Jennifer, I'm not doing a great job at getting the word out there. And so I don't have a <laughs> lot of interest from people that aren't that I'm not interested in working with, right? Because these are typically people that I've met and had some level of relationship with for a couple of years. I do have a new client that wasn't that way, but it was came because of a recommendation with somebody that I'd been building a relationship with for several years. I would say I've never turned a client away that wants to work with me, but I think that I position myself right now to where the only people that want to work with me are people that I want to work with. So the kind of clients that I don't want to work with, they're not going to be able to pay my rate. They're not going to be like attracted to my branding. Because like majority of my clients, and I would say like 90, 95%, almost everybody, maybe even 100% at this point, is through word of mouth. And so I have clients that recommend other people to us. And then that along with my pricing like eliminates pretty much anybody that I'm not going to be interested in working with. Yeah, my pricing is not that high in in the relative scheme of things, but people scoff at it and like, well, I don't want to pay that. I'm like, then I don't want to work you, with you because <laughs> in the beginning when I was charging, you know, $25, $35 an episode, I got $25, $30 per episode value clients who couldn't even pay, who couldn't even mm-hmm. afford the $25 in the first place. Right. And probably stole me money. I don't know. I gave up on it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it wasn't <laughs> enough but now my newest contract signed i met her at a podcast convention 
conference a few years ago. We've been following each other on Facebook. She finally comes around to needing an editor and I'm top of mind. And ta-da. Nice. Oh, that's all you charge? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, no, that's last year's rate. I forgot to give you the new one. <laughs> if you all recall my episode on gifting about how I said I was going to gift some pod faded clients, one of them came back and one of her first questions was, so what's your pricing now? She's like, did you raise your pricing? I'm like, what's yeah. the length of the episode? Yes, I've raised my pricing. <laughs> At some levels, it's the same. Some levels I've changed, but it's like, why yes? But I appreciated her asking that. Andrea said that she didn't turn away clients in the beginning, but now she does. So great comment there. And you had a question that you asked. I did, because I've been kind of beating the drum about don't discount your prices, don't negotiate against yourself. But I did recently take on a client where I intentionally offered a lower rate than I typically would have because I wanted to be the person to help her get started. And I think the thing I want to say about that is one, it's your business. You can do with it what you want as long as what you're doing is legal, (laughs) right? That's, That's up to you. You know, on the flip side of that, I did that also being aware that I do have a couple of editors that I work with and I have to make sure that my business can support what I'm paying them. And I also have an assistant that's working with me on some stuff. And so that's one of the things I'm always really careful with because I can't bring on a client unless I have made the research to go, okay, I can afford to do this. And I realize that I'm undercharging because I want to be involved with this person. I can't do that and allow my business to continue to thrive because I have to pay these people. And they're not willing to accept my inability (laughs) to negotiate into their rate discussions, right? <laughs> so that's something that I'm always being aware of. And it, you know, if you're ever thinking of bringing people on, you've got to be aware of that and start thinking about that now so that you don't find yourself in the position where I did when I first started bringing people on, where I was charging a freelancer rate and then realized there was no margin to pay even a discounted freelancer's rate to be part of my team. That was a lot. That was way more than I expected to say. So I'm going <laughs> to shut up now. <laughs> no, no, it was really good. One thing to keep in mind, I think when you grow in your business, like it's easy to get lost in the like in the idea like the fact that you're running a business and like in a capitalist society, like you know, money is king and like the almighty dollar and all that. But one thing to keep in mind is not all compensation is monetary. Just like if you're working a nine to five, it's like, yeah, you you have your take-home pay, but your compensation is also your health insurance, your vacation, pizza. Like there's there's a lot more to it. So you just have to determine like how much are you willing to because like if it is like a say a cause that you agree with that you really want to support and whatever, that thing is totally like fine to take a discount in order to because some of the comp- the compensation is like your enjoyment of working on it or like the feeling of giving back or supporting a cause or whatever. But as long as you don't get carried away and run your business into the ground because you right. can't pay your bills. Yeah. I mean, I almost kind of view that as our family does give money to charity, Mm -hmm. but we don't give all of it to charity because we recognize that the kids got to eat. And as much as we might want to support more causes, there is a certain amount of money in that pie. And it's our job to do the best we can with what Mm -hmm. we have. Absolutely. So I do have a special Kentucky rate. It's the rate I was at and I didn't raise it for Kentuckians at the moment, but I, uh, I raised it for everybody else not current clients because I still haven't figured out how to that conversation. But for new clients outside of Kentucky, the rate is raised. But you know, here, here's a good question. Before we go to that question, I would like to mention that in the Podcast Editor Academy, 
if you're a member, there's actually an email template related to how to communicate a price increase that was actually written by an honest-to-goodness copywriter. So if you're a member of the Academy, I'd suggest going and checking that out. And I think it's going to be something along the lines of, dear whoever, I'm writing to inform you that as of such and such date, my rates are increasing. This will be a new rate. If you'd like to have a conversation with me about this, please let me know. It's still scary. It It is. is. But you have to, I'm preaching to myself too. Mm -hmm. You have to be willing to go, okay, what I'm doing Mm -hmm. isn't sustainable. It might feel like it's sustainable, but it's not. And so I have to have this conversation or this relationship is going to become toxic. Yeah, I don't have toxic clients at the moment. (laughs) And I don't want to make it. But the working relationship will be if you're paying them the podcast. Mm -hmm. So 99% of our clients, we have like a working relationship that flows a certain way. And my wife is involved. But there's this one, for some reason, it's a lot different than everything else. It's not because like the content or anything is any different. But it's just like the relationship that we've developed is in an awkward way, not like in a good way, honestly. And so while like Michelle does a lot of the correspondence when it comes to like our quarterly calls or all that, she does like a lot of the writing that we, we work on it together, but she kind of takes the brunt of it. This is a client that I usually kind of take on solo. And like, it's always been an awkward conversation of like raising rates because it's been, you know, like at this point, it's been a couple of years since the rates have gone up. So when you let things, the longer you let things go, the harder it is to have that conversation. And it got to the point where it's just like every time they have like a minor request that's outside the norm, like I get annoyed. Mm. It's like I'm already undercharging them and now they want more. But like, it's not their fault that I'm not raising their rates. And so like I finally like sent a message being like, hey, here's my current rate. I know that's like over double what you're paying now. And I understand like this is a huge jump like here's and i give them like a discount kind of to compensate for that I'm like how do you feel about this and like they're really cool about it but if you're undercharging like every little thing is going to annoy you because all you can focus on is how little you're charging them yeah i had that guy he couldn't afford 25 dollars, and that sure really <laughs> drove me up the wall <laughs> yeah and it's a great client i love working with them but it's just like just the fact that i was undercharging was creating toxicity in a relationship because of my feelings about it or my thoughts. Yeah, from David, we're talking about pricing. Do you do any pro bono work? No. So my first client I took on was free. And so I would consider that pro bono, but it didn't last forever at that rate. I don't have any clients. Well, I couldn't afford to take on any clients that on an ongoing basis don't pay for anything. And in all honesty... My experience has been that if the solution doesn't cost them anything, they won't invest themselves in it. And I've seen the same thing play out where a client, whether it's a consultation or some kind of ongoing agreement, and I don't do those anymore, they won't be as motivated to do the parts that make their show great if they're not paying you for the part that you're doing to make their show great. Um, I would say that there can be exceptions, people that literally don't have the money but have a commitment to excellence. However, I've not ever found any of those because what I've found is the people that have that commitment are willing to commit the resources, whether that's money, time, or expertise, or relationships, or whatever, to bring something to the table. And I'm going to take a slightly selfish take on it. Is like so? Yes, obviously, if you're not, if the client isn't doesn't have skin in the game, they're going to be less committed. 
And also like, I found that if I'm not making money off of it, I'm less motivated. Like there's a reason why this show of podcast editors pays somebody to edit the podcast is because I can't be bothered to do it for free. And like, I'm willing to pay to do something that I do for a living. And maybe there's a cause or somebody that I'm really excited about and I don't mind doing it. I haven't found that yet. But for me, like it's a disservice to them because I know myself and I know that I'm not going to put in the same effort as I would a normal client. The only pro bono work I do are the consultations where people end up picking my brain. And I've gotten to the point where I at least ask them to pay for lunch or coffee. But they will, oh, I want to take you to lunch and ask you everything there is to know about podcasting. And then I'm like, okay, that'd be $125 if we were doing this and you had scheduled it, <laughs> you know, the right way. I would charge right. you for this. Or I host the monthly meetups with the Lexington podcasters and you can come and you can pick my brain at that or, you know, whatever. So that's the pro bono I'm giving away is the intellectual property or whatever you want to call it. But, um, uh, as far as the editing editing work, no. Yeah, I don't mind giving away my brain for free. Like I love talking about it. And I love being an expert. So I probably, if, if it happened more often, I def, my attitude would definitely change. But if somebody just wants to talk to me about podcasting, like it's it's hard to shut me up. <laughs> <laughs> Same. In fact, I'll answer questions they haven't even asked yet. Exactly. And then my wife's nudging me, but like nobody cares about that. Andrea says, I prefer to do volunteer work totally separate from my perfection. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Because it's one thing if it's a hobby doing it for free, but once it becomes a job and like a career, then like I find there's a lot more resistance to doing that for free. Yeah. It can certainly feel hard to figure out where to draw that line, right? That's okay. I mean, the line is clear with Andrea. It's like, if it's my job, doing charity work with this. I love that. I think we should probably hit that yes. other comment that she... But Andrea says one way to make it easier to get in the habit of reviewing rates once a year and then to communicate to your clients each year, even if you're not changing their rates, say, we've just done our annual rate review and good news, your rate will stay the same for another year. Then they know it's always a possibility. I like that. I might have to do that. I am going to steal that. I love yeah. that. And I think, and Brian can probably speak to this more because I think this is something that he does, is like working into your contract. If you have a contract, like put an expiration date on your contract. So you have to essentially review the contract each year. If like your contract expires at a state, here's whatever. Because that kind of forces you. If you start the relationship off that way, then it's easier to keep going. And by building it into your contract, it's a lot easier. But I do really love yeah, thank that. Thank you, Andrea. That is what I do. So sometimes I write the contract as a given time frame and then it ends. Mm-hmm. And other times I'll just write it as, hey, this contract is good until such and such time, and then it will convert to a monthly agreement. And after such and such date, the rates may be adjusted. And I just write it into the contract, right? So that what I don't have is a contract that says your rate is $25 an episode month to month with no provision for a rate mm -hmm. adjustment. Don't lock yourself into undercharging. Well, my contract, my proposal, whatever it is, it says this is the proposal is good for one month. And if you sign it, it's good for one year, but I never go back and revisit it. Hmm. Yeah, I Same. would <laughs> recommend yeah. doing that. I did actually not keep up with that very well during the whole COVID thing, partly because I didn't want to have the rate discussion. But it does put you in a weird position to be doing work without a mm -hmm. valid contract in place. Because 
part of what the contract does is define who does what, but it also defines what protections are available. And if your contract includes an indemnification, like if they say something that's later proven to be false, they have to defend you as the editor for having worked on their, like all of that stuff so that you don't get in legal trouble for something that you were part of, even though you didn't know it was a problem. And if the contract is lapsed, I'm not sure if that would be enforceable or not. Mine's not that fancy. That'd be a great question for an attorney. Yeah. <laughs> and in case you're wondering, I'm not an attorney. So don't take my advice. Go talk None to a real are. Yeah. Um, but it comes down to your unique value proposition, like we were talking about earlier. And at the podcast mm-hmm. editor Academy Mastermind, I was going to call this the Mastermind, but that's us. But that we did before podcast movement. And that was what Mark mm. and well, Mark had us go through, Mark Deal, about what is it that makes you different? What is it that you have to sell? And you guys, we tried to have a sales conversation a few weeks ago and you were like, oh, we don't do sales. I'm like, well, this was not helpful. (laughs) 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 So it's like, you know, what, what is that unique selling point? And I think we hit on it, but I wonder about the folks in the chat too. Um, Andrea mentioned that, you know, taking the time to explain, hey, here's how you use the Dropbox or whatever and to make it easy to... uh, with my people, I, I usually like stop them before we get too far into the conversation and say, look, here's how it works. You're going to record. You're going to put it in the Dropbox. I'm going to take it out of the Dropbox. I'm going to make it pretty and clean it up. Then I can either put it in the Dropbox for you or upload it to your media host. So we, I try to get that out of the way at the beginning. Oh, Podcast Service Mastermind Workshop. Thank you, Steve. I couldn't remember what it was. <laughs> Podcast Service Mastermind Workshop. I try to get that out at the beginning, but that's helpful, but still my unique proposition is the, I'm trying to market to people local, but then people who don't, aren't local. My last three clients haven't been local. (laughs) So right, there's something else about me that people like. That's great. Yeah. Sometimes it's your personality that can set you apart. You just like people that. Yeah. The chemistry. Yeah. I think having that unique, unique value proposition. Is that what it is? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I think it's, going to be super important now, but it's going to be even more important, important as the industry grows. So if you just look at like anything creative, what let's like look at YouTube. If you go back to, you know, 2007, eight, like sitting in front of your camera, just talking was enough to get you huge or just playing video games was enough because like there just wasn't anybody doing it. And now it's almost impossible to blow up on YouTube just because there's just so much. And I was lucky enough to build the, you know, my business at a time when being able to do it was enough. And I think it probably still do it now, but you're only going to set yourself up for more success if you can figure out what makes you unique and set yourself apart from the competition. And Andrea brings up, you know, what, what I didn't touch on or the niche you specialized in. And we hear this, the riches and the niches. Um, who are you serving? Mm-hmm. Like you two both have figured out your niche too, right? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, mine's <laughs> a little bit more flexible. Daniel, I think yours is almost entirely business coaches, life coaches. Yeah. Almost exclusively. I'd say like 90%. I have like maybe two, two or three that are like business oriented, but mostly life coaches. That's what really like helped me grow was one of my first clients was a life coach and word of mouth through their community. I was able to get more clients that way. So now, and like they're, you know, a tight knit group that help each other. So whenever one of them is looking to start a podcast, 
nationally, I'm the one that gets recommended. I know like uh, Virginia Elder and like Steve Stewart are in the financial, personal finance industry. And so it's a lot easier to market and grow within like a smaller niche and kind of be like one of the go-to people in that niche than trying to market yourself, especially if you're using like traditional marketing or like social media or whatever. It's a lot easier to target a niche than it is to just target everybody. Because everybody's not your client anyway. Exactly. What I've found with mine is probably two thirds to three quarters of mine are in what I would call the business coaching, consulting, training type area, but not all within the same industry, which I think is a little bit different than Daniel. But also a lot of mine tend to have more than one iron in the fire. So while they might fit that mold, typically they've got something else that they've got going on the side, or maybe they've run two or three or four separate organizations. And this is just one piece of the pie for them. Yeah. It's a lot easier to find the pain points and sell yourself apart if you niche down. So like Brian's saying, like these companies, if you work with similar style companies or similar sizes, whatever, you know what they're looking for. And so you can know how to tailor your services to make it as easy as possible. So like, you know, if you're say like you work big corporations, there's going to be a lot of people that need to have an opinion. If you can figure out a way to like make the process really smooth and painless, you can make a lot of money that way. Or if you can like, uh, not to cut you off, but like if you focus like on one, so I, you know, work with life coaches. If I could figure out like what listeners of these shows really like and what will attract new listeners that could be something that I could then pitch to potential clients being like, I can help you grow your show because like, I know how to market it or I know how to do whatever. And that could set you apart by niching down. It's like, you can learn exactly and go deep into kind of one industry. I hope I'm making sense. I feel like I'm not. Well, you got a comment. That was really helpful, Daniel. Yeah. I think the (laughs) thing I would add to that is that if you have an understanding of who it is that you want to serve, it makes it a lot easier to know who you also want to say no to. Yeah. I don't do narrative style shows, but I'm not opposed to it. If somebody came to me and wanted to do that, I'd be willing to have that that conversation. If somebody came to me with a comedy podcast or a sports podcast or something like that, I'm probably not the right editor for them. It's not that I couldn't do it, but it's not really my jam, especially if I was being expected to compete on price. That's an easy, easy answer for me. David had another question about niching down. Does niching down create lower pricing? I would say it doesn't have to, right? So if your niche is three drunk guys in a basement that don't have a budget for their show, (laughs) then yeah, it's going to create lower pricing. But if your niche is Fortune 500 CEOs who are trying to expand beyond the bounds of their organization by spreading, you know, in terms of like thought leadership or something like that, Assuming they don't have an in-house team, which they probably do, they're going to have a very high budget. It's also going to be a lot of hoops to jump through because they're going to have a legal review and a marketing review and a, a global... Like They're going to have a lot of things. And so you're going to have to manage all those pieces. But if you can bring that to the table and deliver something that makes everybody happy and also doesn't sound like plain vanilla wafers, then yeah, it's going to be worth some money. And I also add that the editing is going to be different on different types of shows. So like, so kind of like by niching down, I think I can clarify a little bit more. So like Brian was talking about sports podcasts or comedies podcasts, like not really your forte. 
but also is going to be edited differently than like a narrative show. Yeah. And so like comedy is probably going to be like a lot quicker, a lot more fast paced, as opposed to something that's supposed to be more inspirational. And so if like you could tailor your skill set to like knowing how the pacing should go, especially like a narrative podcast or something more inspirational, like you can tailor your skills to help set yourself apart. So that way it's easier on your clients because then they don't have to like micromanage as much. So if like you can like have your skill set, they'll be willing to pay more for a better show than somebody who is more general. And I think also with with the pricing on a niche is that if you own it, if you own that niche, if you are the expert in that area, you can set your own pricing for whatever you want and your cred in that area is going to carry you. Oh, absolutely. Which is what's nice about like word of mouth referrals is like you've already been vetted because like if I'm looking for a podcast editor, I go to my friend who loves their podcast editor. They're like, hey, use this guy. He's great. Okay. I don't care what the price is. I know yeah. I'm getting quality service. Yeah. That's how my second to last client found yeah. me. I, I mean, I, I had, I'm like, <laughs> please don't ask your friend what I charge her because I just raised your rate. <laughs> but it didn't matter because I already had the no like and trust from the other. To that point, I should probably add one of the specifications in my contract is that pricing and stuff is considered confidential information. So I don't share my client's pricing with any of anybody else. And I also expect them not to do that because, and the way I share it with them is, hey, I'm glad if you refer somebody with me to me, just keep in mind that they may not get the same pricing that you have. It may have changed my rates or whatever. So let me have that discussion. And I've also had some people that reach out to me and say, hey, I know that you have some people that do some subcontracting for you. Who are they and what do they charge? And I'm like, well, I'm happy to share with you who they are. You're going to need to have the rate discussion with them because I can't give you their rate for you. I don't know what your editing looks like. I don't know what your workflow looks like. And I don't know if they even want to work with you. (laughs) I feel like it would be really taking advantage of them if they offered me a a special rate to work for me. And then I just assumed that everybody else gets that rate because they know me. Like that's, it's not nepotism. I don't know what it is, but it's not right. They need to own that relationship, not have it go through me. So part of the question from Steve originally is how do you beat out the competition or end the call quickly so they don't waste another minute of your time? So do you all cut off? I mean, at what point do you realize this is a bad fit? So me recently, it was when she started going on how she wanted someone to fully produce her show, book the guests, do the video, do the, it it, it just went on and on. And I said, stop, 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 stop. No, (laughs) thanks for playing. I'm not your girl. Yeah. So two situations. One, when it's clear that it's not a good fit because my pricing is too high or they want more than I can offer. And then the second one is at 30 minutes because my discovery calls are 30 minutes long. At the end of 30 minutes, that's it. And so like, I'm not going to like, if they're, if, I'm not going to like end a call just because somebody is talking to another editor. Cause I don't feel like it's a waste of time because like I offer free consultation, 30 minute calls, and that's what they get. And so like, I don't feel like it's a waste of my time because I've already committed to that without expectation of like them working with me. But yeah, if it's clear that we're not a good fit, then yeah, end it as soon as it's obvious. Because not only is it saving your time, but also it's wasting their time to continue that call when you don't need to. 
I'm with Daniel. If I realize that it's not a good fit, I'm happy to go, hey, I don't think this is going to be a great fit. Would you like me to try and refer you to somebody else if I think that's worth it? If I realize that they're talking to other people and it's unlikely that I'm going to get the business, but it's not something where it's literally not a good fit, I might just let them know, hey, there's a good possibility that this isn't going to be a great fit for everybody. However, we have the rest of this time. How else can I help you? Right? We've got another 20 minutes left. I'm not going to try and sell you something you don't want, but I'm here and I'll answer any questions that you have for the next however long that we have booked. So you I both like do 30-minute consultations. I do, yeah. yeah. I do 15 free. That's it. Yeah, I feel like I can barely get done talking the weather by 15 minutes. <laughs> Well, if they yeah. know that, well, that you learn a lot about a client if you only give them 15 minutes as well. Really? Yes, because some people will take all 30, even though you gave them 15. But some people are straight to the point. Okay, here's what I need. What do you charge? You know, and you're done in 15 minutes. It's over. When I was doing 30, then you get into more nitty gritty and you're giving more away. And there, therein lies part of my problem of giving too much away where I could be charging a consultation fee. Here it is. I just gave it to you. But some people go, oh, you do 15 minutes free. I have no intention of working with you, but I'll take your 15 minutes. And I'm like, okay, that's fair. That's what's on my website. Here's your 15 minutes. So I've had that happen two or three times that, I, I mean, there's no chance they're going to work with me, but they took my 15 minutes. And if I'd done that with 30, eh, that just seems like a lot. I, That's fair. Yeah, I totally understand that. I We haven't had that kind of experience. I've never felt like somebody's trying to take advantage or whatever. Um, and a lot of times, like the calls usually only go like 15 to 20 minutes. And it's like, okay, well, we got all the information, blah, blah, blah. But typically the first part of the call is like, hey, how are you? How are you doing? Just like chit chatty. And then we kind of go into um, a spiel about who we are, what we do. And that takes up a good chunk of the time already. And then we ask about them. And then it's kind of like by that time, like there's not a whole lot, like probably at the 15, 20 minute but mark. But if everyone has point. done their homework ahead of time, you don't need to have that chit chat at the beginning. Mm. I love your Thank unicorn you. world there. Thank Jennifer. you. I, I don't <laughs> do this, but uh, on my, I use Book Like a Boss. And so in, in Blab, they can put the name of their podcast, what, ex, what questions they have, blah, 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 ahead of time. So if I'm really curious, I can say, oh, World strides changing education abroad. What? And I can go look them up and look, say, okay, what do you have here beforehand? Now, of course, do I do this? No, but I could if I wanted to. But I get a base. I read their notes or whatever, and I have a basic idea of where they're coming from before we get on the call. And if they've gotten to my blab page, they've gotten to my website, so they know a little bit about me anyway. So I don't have to introduce myself. Yeah. I'm going to push back because I feel like our spiel is kind of like our sales pitch. And that's where I, we can really like hone in on what sets us apart. And as far as like, I do, we do a little bit of research. We find out, we look at their website, kind of get an idea of who they are, but people love talking about themselves. And so giving them a chance to like, really like get excited about what they're doing, what they're hopeful for, fills them with that yeah. dopamine, dopamine, fills them with that dopamine. And I think helps kind of like gas us up in their eyes because they get excited talking to us and that kind of bleeds over to like, oh, I like them. I want to work with them. Oh, okay. That makes sense. On the topic of research, one of the things I like to do if they actually have a show is go check out the show. I may not listen to much of it, but 
what I want to do is go into the call knowing one or two things that I could bring to the table right now that would potentially help them. Because in all honesty, just having that knowledge could be the differentiator. Like I cared enough to notice and say, hey, have you thought about flipping that Yeti on the cardioid pattern and talking (laughs) into the proper side of it instead of licking it like an ice cream cone? I don't know. Are we ready for the Poddex question of the day? I think we so. are ready for the Poddex question. Who wants to pick a number? I will. All right. One through five. Number one. Which talent would you most like to have? Uh, I need the talent of dancing. You need the talent of you dancing. You need it. Yeah. I, I, got, I got singing already. I can do that, but I can't dance. It says talent. I start thinking That's superpower. Not the same thing. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to go with... The ability to understand what people actually care about so I can talk to what actually (laughs) matters, Mm, which is probably a superpower, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to put it as a talent. I don't know. For me, it's like drawing because like I want to be able to like effortlessly draw. It's one of those things like I want to be able to do it, but not enough to actually learn how to do it. Andrea says, yeah, I need the talent of sales. Yeah, Andrea. Good one. No love for the Blue Yeti. I will say no love for how most people use a Blue Yeti. Yeah. I'm not going to dog the Yeti if it's used properly in a well-treated space. I think it sounds passable. You can clearly use a condenser microphone because I am. Mm -hmm. It's just that so many people use it wrong. Yeah. So many people. Steve says, be able to read my wife's mind as much as she reads mine. (laughs) Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all we have for today's chat on the Podcast Editor Mastermind Show. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jennifer Longworth. You can find me at bourbonbarrelpodcasting.com. I'm Brian Ensminger. You can find me at toptieraudio.com or toptieraudio on most of the socials. And on my other side is... Daniel Abendroth. You can find me at rothmedia.audio. And don't look me up on (laughs) social media because it's not... Oh, no. no. Don't. Not appearing is (laughs) Carrie Caulfield area, yayapodcasting.com. And we will catch you guys in a couple weeks. 9.05 Eastern here. Same bat time, same bat channel. Bye. Uh, um, so how much is that? Um, 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 um